The Dory Monson Show on Cairo Radio. This is The Big Lead. Welcome, uh, welcome to The Big Show. I always try to do it as loud as Dory. I just can't quite manage it. Brandy Cruz. Thank you. Brandy mm-hmm. Cruz filling in for my friend Dory Monson for a second week. Dory's going to be back in the new year. Back and well-rested and refreshed. We hope. I hope. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, that doesn't. Whatever happens <laughs> is up to you. <laughs> doesn't impact me at all. Um, gosh, did you have a good Christmas, Nicole? I did. I think, uh, you know, it was pretty uneventful. Very. Um, I had lots of family there and we did our usual dinner and family stuff and it was it was great i just felt sorry for everyone stuck in airports everywhere yeah we might get to that coming up in the big lead it was it was a rough time to be traveling and yeah mike and i long ago decided that we were going to make christmas a non-thing and so we stay home i mean i'm just glad to have him not work on the weekends because the man works too much but uh we just stay home and we hang out with the doggies and the only presents we bought this year were for the dogs we did uh, stocking stuffers for the dogs. I love that. Yes, and our dog Lucky was very excited with the stuffed llama that she got. It is oh, her good. new best friend. So, didn't you buy Mike's dog gifts and Mike bought your dog yeah, gifts? Yeah, we kind of ended up. So, Mike ended up getting some stuffed animals and then I ended up getting treats. And so, we kind of oh, okay. split them amongst the dogs. But oh, uh, it was deal. really nice. Super low key Christmas. But that windstorm. The, the god of ice was very angry over the Oh, weekend. man. So we were like, well, we're not going to go anywhere anyway. It was uh, cold. We're stuck, yeah. Um, but, you know, we also had some folks in North Bend lose power, and this has been like an ongoing thing about the trees with the ice and all of that. And so there were a lot of people I was uh, on social media over the weekend talking about losing power, but it turns out in some areas there might be a little more to that. Let's get to the big lead. The big lead. Top story. So you just heard about this in Aaron's newscast. And, you know, I don't know what to make of this because is it a coincidence? You've heard about these attacks at substations and there have been at power stations. There's been some instances across the country. Uh, we know that there were was an instance uh, in North Carolina, was it, where there people shot at a, a, a power station there. There's been some incidents, incidents in Oregon. And now... Um, there are and have been at least uh, four attacks at power substations in Pierce County. And so on Christmas Day of all times, some folks in Pierce County, thousands of people lost power on Christmas Day. Um, so there were four, like I said, four substations targeted by vandals. Uh, they breached the security fence- fences. They damaged equipment. There were about 14,000 people with Tacoma Public Utilities uh, and also Puget Sound Energy customers who ended up losing power as a result. Uh, here again is Sergeant Darren Moss on um, what they found when they got there to, to respond to the damage. When the deputies got there, there was nobody on scene, but they saw that the fence area had been broken into it, it, the in this one. The suspects cut one of the locks on the fence area, uh, made their way inside and caused damage to the substation. All three happened in the middle of the night on Christmas Day, causing power outages. Nothing was stolen from either or any of those facilities. 
Um, so there's a good possibility they are related. And, and that's what gets me is like nothing was stolen because usually you might think, OK, maybe they went in there to steal some equipment. They had some other motivations. But it sounds like, according to Sergeant Darren Moss of the Pierce County Sheriff's Office, that this was strictly an act of vandalism. And um, Cairo 7 spoke to this woman who's like, yeah, I mean, there's been vandalism everywhere and not just uh, targeted to the, the power station. You know, I think, you know, the world's in a weird place right now and you're seeing a lot of things. And so that could be part of it. You know, is this just part of everything's being freaking vandalized? And so, yeah, add the power stations to the list. But uh, Como spoke with a retired FBI agent because the other thing that got me about this is like, are they really that easy to get to? Can you really just break a lock and go in there and screw up power for thousands of people? And this retired FBI agent said, yeah, actually, they're pretty uh, uh, easy targets. They've now determined that these are, again, easy targets. You can do a whole lot of damage with um, not much effort. There's going to have to be an upscaling of the security around these substations. I mean, as you well know, you've seen some of them. They're just sitting out in the middle of nowhere with a chain link fence around them. It's not going to work anymore. No. And so, of course, they've happened across the country. And there's this whole thought about, are these attacks on the power grid? And that's the worst fear, right? And you and I were talking earlier, Nicole, and it's like, Gosh, we always worry about this global pandemic, and then there's a pandemic, and the other thing that seems like it's just a distant threat or attacks on our power grid. And now it's like, okay, is this part of that? Is this some sort of like or- ramping up to it? Ramping up organized uh, effort. And the Pierce County Sheriff's Office, they posted on Facebook, they said, we, you know, we're obviously aware that this has happened in more places than Pierce County. We're trying not to jump to any conclusions. Uh, There's an ongoing investigation into this. The FBI won't comment on whether it's involved because the FBI, that's their standard protocol. They don't say whether they are or are not involved in investigations, which I would be very surprised if the FBI isn't involved in this uh, investigation at this point because Tacoma Public Utilities said, and I had reached out to them yesterday, Uh, And they were very short on words. You know, this is not something that they're talking a lot uh, about. And they said that they are working with federal law enforcement officials to investigate the attacks. And so, uh, I mean, I think you have to treat it as the worst case scenario unless you find out it's a bunch of punk kids going in there. And and, and in that case, I hope you throw the book at them. Yeah, I've had I've heard rumors of Antifa type of groups or whatever. But um, I think it's one of those. We never had to secure them better than a chain link fence, fence because everybody was scared of them. You're, you're like, oh, I'm not going to mess with the power station. Like, <laughs> I'll get electrocuted. But now these people are like, it seems like testing what they can get away with in there without getting injured themselves or whatever. Well, and that's part of my, if I look at it, and I don't want to like, you know, guess too much about what's happening. I, I understand the need to sort of hang sure. back and say, okay, let's let the investigation run its course because it could be some punk kids in there. But if it's not, you really do have to consider worst case scenario. And that's what came to my mind too, is you've got multiple different attacks. Nothing was stolen. And so are they trying to figure out how easy are these things to access? What kind of damage can we do without electrocuting ourselves? I think we rig those bad boys to electrocute whoever right? comes in. I, I think know. that we set little traps for them. And I have heard if you live anywhere near a substation, you're supposed to check your cameras and see if you see yeah. any suspicious activity and let the uh, let police know because I, I don't know how many suspects they have or if they, you know, we like we said, well, there's not a, a list coming out of suspects. Yeah. So. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Antifa. But mm-hmm. uh, frankly, even if you live by a power station that has not been targeted, it might still be good to look at your cameras and see or even, you know, train your cameras in the direction of a road or something sure. going to it just to see, like, is there anything unusual, anything suspicious? And maybe you can prevent one of these instances from happening. What so, do we do without cameras? What do we do without cameras? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think there's too many cameras, frankly. I'm always like, do you ever walk around your neighborhood and you're like, 
like, I wonder how many ring doorbells I'm showing up on today. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, up next in The Big Lead. The Big Lead. Big Local. Back in February, uh, I know Dory covered it. It's something I talked about on the Undivided podcast. Um, Poroshki Poroshki, which is this uh, Russian bakery in Seattle, very popular. They've got a location down at Pike Place Market. Well, they announced that they were closing their location on 3rd Avenue, which is just a couple blocks up from Pike Place. But they opened this location. And I guess part of me was like, why would you ever open a location there? But um, several years ago, like four or five years ago, when there was some renewed efforts to clean up downtown – The city at the time promised this revitalization of downtown that they were going to activate Third Avenue and, you know, make it a place where tourists wanted to go, where you could go shopping and dining. And so uh, Olga Sagan, the owner of Proshki Proshki, thought, well, I want to be part of that. I'm a business owner who cares about the city, so I'm going to open up um, a location right on Third Avenue between Pike and Pine which is like the worst block in the city, that and in front of the King County Courthouse. But at the time, she thought, okay, I'm going to be part of um, reinvigorating this area. But, of course, crime got terrible. And then during the pandemic, everyone who was down there for legitimate purposes like business wasn't there. And so on this particular stretch of Third Avenue, which has the notorious McDonald's on it, you know, where all the shootings happen. Um, so on this particular stretch, and I went down there in February around the time that Olga decided to close this location, and there were, I mean, you could buy just about anything. There was these open-air uh, markets of stolen merchandise, stuff that had been taken. I mean, if you wanted a cheap shark vacuum from Target, you'd get one for like 20 bucks on 3rd Avenue. I was tempted at certain times. I was like, wow, shark vacuum, that's nice. I might, is this a, can I buy this stolen merchandise and get away with it? Uh, but there's also just blatant drug use, blatant drug drug dealing to the point where they weren't even hiding it anymore. And of course, there had been several shootings. And the the final straw for Olga in February at this location was there was a shooting, another shooting down at the uh, McDonald's where a guy was killed. And she had her security footage outside their storefront that just showed all the people who were fleeing uh, down the street from the shooting. And she just thought, look, if my employees aren't going to be safe, if my customers aren't going to be safe, then I have to close my doors. And I remember speaking with Olga at the time, and she was so fed up. She was so disappointed in uh, elected leaders for letting it get that bad, in people who weren't willing to speak out about the problem. And she's like, you know what? I'm just going to shut up. I'm going to pay my taxes. I'm going to operate my other businesses, and I'm not going to worry about this one. Well, Olga on Monday uh, decided, she said it was a Christmas miracle. She decided to reopen this location there on 3rd Avenue. And I actually stopped down there yesterday because I had, uh, she texted me over the weekend saying, hey, we're moving forward. We're going to open the day after Christmas. And so I went down there just to kind of, uh, I mean, you know, support the business and get a Poroshki, which wasn't on my diet. But dang, it was delicious. Uh, and just chat with her. And I was really uh, pleased to see Councilwoman Sarah Nelson, uh, who was down there supporting the business. It's like at least there are some uh, members of the Seattle City Council who recognize that we need businesses to succeed in order for the city to to succeed. But um you know, downtown in that block did look significantly better than February. I mean, it's still a dump, right? There's there's businesses boarded up everywhere. So many businesses have closed. There are still some people using drugs in the alcoves, but it is nowhere near where it was in February. And so Olga says, you know what, we're going to try this. We're going to try to open back up. She did, however, tell Como that... Um, if they end up having to close again because of crime, then that's it. I'm saying it officially right now on TV. If we have to close again, it's going to be permanent closure. So we better go at it. City better help us. 
Yeah, and so, and I don't blame her. I mean, I think she's taking a risk as it is. You know, I posted on my Facebook page when she told me, we're opening back up tomorrow, and I posted that I was going to be down there and that people, if they felt comfortable, should stop by and support the business. And there were so many people saying, I'm, you know, downtown Seattle's still terrible. I'm not going to go there. And they're right. I don't blame anyone who doesn't want to go down there. I don't blame any business that doesn't want to operate down there. It still isn't a pleasant place to be. And so I do think Olga is taking a risk. And I do think there's still a possibility that she'll have to close that location back down and it'll be for the final time. But I give her so much credit for trying to push through this, for realizing that, you know, if we just give up on downtown, then it has such a huge economic impact, not only for the city, but for the entire state. So I appreciate her, one, speaking the truth about what's happening down there, regardless of the uh, little activists on the far left who vilify her for it. And I, I have a lot of respect for her for taking a chance and saying, my bakery being open on this avenue as one of the only businesses open on this avenue can make a difference. And I really want to try. So coming up at 1230 on the big show, we're going to be joined live. We're going to be joined by Olga Sagan, uh, the owner of Proshki Proshki. And we're going to talk about how she came to this decision to to reopen and what her message will be for city leaders. So looking forward to that conversation. All right. Coming up next in the big lead. The big lead. Top trending. So, Nicole, we I, I wanted to get to this. You, you snuck this in the big lead because... Um, I was thinking the same thing watching the news over the weekend. How sad it was for people stranded at the airport on Christmas. So one story in particular, I saw Tracy Taylor, who used to be do our traffic here. Her birthday is also Christmas and they were leaving for Hawaii either that morning or that evening. They were in the I don't I still don't know if they made it there. I mean, they did not make, make it there on Christmas. I'm not sure if they've made it there as of yet. I just felt heartbroken for her. Yeah, I had a um, a friend of mine whose family member died a uh, few days before Christmas, a couple days before Christmas, and it was like a last minute, got to get to Georgia. Ugh. And of course, they get there and the, the flight's canceled. Of course, I was like, oh my gosh, that's the worst. There is nothing worse when it comes to travel than getting to the airport and realizing your flight has either been delayed or canceled is even better. It's the delay. It's that this happened to us in Vegas. Yes. And you just never know if it's going to be delayed more, if you're if you should just give up. It's it, yeah. And especially I feel for these people who there are just lines at every desk, at every counter. And so you just feel absolutely helpless. I think this is I think it's one of the most helpless feelings that you can get is being stuck at an airport and not knowing if you can make it out and not knowing who to contact, not knowing what to do and I you mean, just it's stay so there and helpless de- and you just stay there indefinitely in case they they reschedule so i saw this this i was really I had mixed feelings about this but so sam cho who is a seattle port commissioner obviously there were a lot of um canceled flights and stuff like that and so he posted something uh this was the 23rd and i thought god that's just not a good look so he posted on twitter he said personal sanity announcement One, yes, I know the airport is a S show, spelled out. Two, no, there's nothing I can do about it. Sue Mother Nature. Hopefully this spared you from DMing or adding me. Thank you in advance for not ruining my Christmas by making me sit and reply to you. This is a port of Seattle commissioner. I'll reach out to him. I think he should come on and explain that. Because... Is that not your job? Well, and also, yeah, that's part of being an elected leader is, and this is what I responded to him. I said, 
it's part of being an elected leader. People complain, sometimes fairly, sometimes not. Do I think that Sam Cho is controlling Mother Nature? Of course not. And I really doubt that people messaging him think right, he controls Mother Nature. But it's the response to Mother Nature, right? We're supposed to be prepared. We knew it was coming. Did you have enough de-icer? Did you have enough employees? Like, Explain to people why you were not prepared to, to the appropriate extent. And I'm not sure if you could be. But right. It's explain it to people. And even if you think it's unfair, you just have to take your legs. This is the job wow. you ran. Nobody made you run. And so I was really, really surprised by this response. You know, he could have just said, hey, I know weather's bad. Unfortunately, we can't control it. I feel so bad for all of you who are stuck trying to travel for the holidays. Instead, it was hopefully this spared you from messaging me. Thank you in advance for not ruining my Christmas by making me sit in reply to you. <laughs> Making him. Sir, I don't know if you should be in a position. Actually, that's pretty on par for politicians. So never mind. That has been the big lead this hour. The big lead on Cairo Radio. Coming up, we're going to be joined by the owner of Poroshki, 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 Olga Sagan, who reopened a downtown Seattle location yesterday. She's going to talk about what uh, made her uh, reopen, uh, what led to that decision, and also what she would like moving forward from elected leaders. Brandy Cruz filling in for Dory Monson. popular Seattle bakery uh, ended up closing one of its locations in downtown Seattle. Uh, I'm sure most of you could guess why. Um, Proshki Proshki, which obviously has the location down at the market, but it also opened a location up on 3rd Avenue between Pike and Pine, was in the midst of this whole area where there was uh, rampant drug dealing. There had been multiple shootings down there by that McDonald's. Uh, and there had been these open-air bazaars full of stolen merchandise from the Target. Just, it, it was crazy down there. I think this was back in February. So the owner, Olga Sagan, opted to close that location until things got better. And on Monday, they actually reopened their doors to try things out. Olga Sagan joins us now on The Big Show. Olga, thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So I stopped down to see you yesterday when you opened. Got myself a little proshki, which was delicious, by the way. Um, how was business yesterday on your first day reopened? It was it was impressively busy, given that the building was closed. So we were only uh, getting uh, business from log buyers, you know, through our window. It was we were very very impressed with the amount of people that. Uh, stopped by and supported us that day. And you did get a couple city council members to stop by, right? I sure did. Uh, the first thing in the morning, Andrew Lewis stopped by. Uh, you know, he got a Peroshki. He got Peroshki for his wife. Um, and we chatted a little bit about, you know, um, what and why and how. Uh, and then a little bit later, and I think you saw uh, just a, a glance of her as Sarah Nelson stop by, uh, who is an, uh, you know, business owner herself, so she really understands it. And she almost brought me to tears when she thanked every single one of my employees who were there for being there. Yeah, she's she's great. And as you mentioned, when I came down, she was already there. So I got a chance to catch up with her. And it's so nice to see people who understand why the success of business is important. And she absolutely does. And so I, at least yeah, there's some pro-business yeah. people left on the city council. 
Um, talk about the situation outside. So um, you and I spoke in February after you decided to close and, you know, you'd shared some of the surveillance video that showed people, you know, doing drugs right outside your window. Um, there had just been a shooting down there. So compare February to yesterday. I think uh, right in front of our windows, uh, it, there is a significant difference. Um, and it, I would say it's consistent 24-7, always clean and, and uh, you know, safe 100%. But I would say it's more, um, more often clean and, and, and um, I don't know, safer than, than it's ever been uh, in the last two, three years. Uh, I do see a lot of that crowd uh, that is doing, again, I don't think it's homeless people. I really believe those are uh, drug users and drug dealers, yeah. uh, some, you know, some mental illness uh, have moved a block uh, up and kind of to build down a little bit down. So it's not that people have disappeared. It's just that the area has been moved outside of our window. Yeah, I think you characterize it to me as kind of whack-a-mole and, you know, they even get rid of them in one location and then they just go to another. I mean, I still would rather the city and the police come in there and move them around than let them get too comfortable on one particular block. Um, but at the same time, you know, when I talked to you in February, you were very fed up and... You know, you opened at that location because there was this promise of this revitalization of Third Avenue and businesses were being encouraged to be part of that. And then we all saw what happened. Third Avenue became this absolutely almost like, I mean, end of the world scenario. It was terrible down there. So, you know, even though it's a little bit better right now, how hesitant are you to believe that it's it's really going to stay that way? I have I would I would answer that I have no expectations. Hmm. Um, I hope for the best, but I have, you know, hoped before. And, and I think I was very, um, very vocal and very, um, frustrated and, and very fed up when I closed. Um, and then following my closure, there was so much, you know, Starbucks closed, Amazon closed. It was just closing after closing after closing. And, um, and so I was fabric of that closing and kind of, you know, putting our foot down that it's impossible to run a business there. Um, and then beginning of this month, we had Uniqlo opened uh, a block away. Mm-hmm. And I feel as I was, uh, you know, part of the fabric of closing it down and telling people enough is enough, I'm hoping to be a fabric of reopening it up as well and, and supporting Everyone who cares and everyone who sees that there are movements and hopefully we'll just continue, um, keep pushing towards, you know, a a better future for third and Pike. Well, I'm glad that you're willing to be a part of it, uh, even if it comes at the expense of being very, very frustrated at times with the city of Seattle. Um, When it comes to being outspoken, you know, you have been and bless you for being outspoken. You've um, said what's on your mind. You've criticized the city and you've pointed out, frankly, Olga, the obvious, which is I wish everybody would be willing to point out the obvious about how bad things had gotten downtown. But for some reason, that's considered uh, brave or dangerous to do. But have you seen a shift in the willingness of business owners down there to finally speak up and say something? I feel that there has been, I feel that, you know, and, and as you know, I got a lot of um, negative feedback and a lot of name calling when I came out and I said things. Uh, the, the good thing about it, I was telling my truth, how I seen it and what I have been affected with. So it wasn't me, um, you know, some of those people who are sitting on the couch and, and, and really 
um, blaming everyone for everything. I actually was there, was walking the walk and talking the talk. So I still felt I had a right to say things. And I think after I said things, I think a lot more businesses uh, started to verbalize uh, stuff. And and I think it really helped. It really opened up doors to 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 say that we are also part of the community, business community. We're you know we are part of it. We employ people. We pay our taxes. Uh, you know, 60% of of Seattle income comes mm-hmm. from business owner businesses. So. So I did. I, I felt like we did open a little bit of a floodgate of, of it's okay for us to speak our truth uh, through different channels, through you, through you, whatever it is, Fox, Como, you know, it's just at the end of the day saying what is happening. Well, and I'll never understand why someone like you, a productive business owner in Seattle of a beloved bakery, would be vilified for just saying, like you said, the truth. That it's not acceptable, the state of downtown. And the fact that there would be this activist class in Seattle that would try to vilify you and demonize you for doing that just says so much about the city. And I think the more and more people who are willing to speak up and not concern themselves with what those fringe activists might say, the better. Uh, Olga, yeah. let me ask you this. I know you've you've uh, vocalized to me on several occasions that, you know, the number one thing is the safety of your staff and the safety of your customers. Um are you worried you'll have to close down again? And, and what happens if, if it gets to that point? I am going to officially say it, and I said it again, and you can write it down. If I close down again, there's going to be a permanent closure. If I have to close down again due to safety concern for my employees or my customers, this will be a permanent closure. I will break my lease, and I will be done with that location. Because I feel at that point, um, you know, it's doing the same thing, expecting different results, which I'm kind of already doing right now. Uh, but um, and I hope that everyone can hear it loud and clear. Who cares about this? Is is you? We have to deliver. We have to deliver a good, walkable downtown for our people. Downtown now is the biggest neighborhood in Seattle. Downtown people who live there, people who work there. Tourists that visit us, we need to stop embarrassing ourselves with downtown like this. That's so well put, and it is embarrassing. And and I think anyone, you know, we had on, I was filling in for Dory last week, and we had on the owner of Beacon Plumbing, who's been in Seattle his whole life. I mean, a very high-profile business similar to yours. And he said, look, this... When I speak poorly of Seattle, it's it's from a place of love. And I think anyone who truly loves the city should be angry about the state of downtown. Because as you said, it is embarrassing. And the city has been better and it can be better. Uh, well, Olga, let's end with this. What's your message to, to city leaders as you reopen this week for the first time in, gosh, uh, nine months? Ten months, yes. I think my message is, is as I was you know, vocal closing it. I am as vocal reopening it, and I hope that they will take it as a sign that that there are a lot of business owners still in Seattle who believe in the city, who wants it to succeed, and and we need um, help and support. We need more open doors. We need more activation in that area, and um, I hope to get the support of everyone, all, all the stakeholders uh, in this community. All right, Olga Sagan, the owner of Poroshki Poroshki. They've now reopened their location on 3rd Avenue. It's between Pike and Pine. If you care to stop by uh, and support her in their reopening and support their employees. Olga, thank you so much, and thank you for being willing to say uh, what a lot of people are not brave enough to say. Thank you. Much more ahead on The Dory Monson Show. Brandy Cruz filling in.
hip music for the Dory Monson show. I don't know oh, if I'm yeah. ready for that amount of hip. Well, oh, not, how I old are you, like, Andrew? I'm 24. All right, there it is. That's why. Well, I didn't. Okay. I don't this mind isn't... it. I don't mind it. No, I don't mind okay, it. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't really have any more Christmas music to play. So what do you? Well, no, is there Christmas any is over. Music? I know. So, so I don't. No, I, I don't mind it. I like it. It's just very hip, you know. I I'm kind of an old lady trapped in this body. So you know, I like my what's hip. I like my uh, Lana Del Rey. Okay, that's hip, right? That's hip. You know, Amy Winehouse and Adele. That's sort of my vibe. Welcome back to the Dory Monson Show. Brandy Cruz filling in. Andrew Silent. All right, I'll work it in. No, I don't mind this music. I just, you know, I'm. He's so young, and it it just shows in the musical selections. Um, it was funny though. You said you're out of Christmas music, so we're in here during the break. And some staff from uh, Cairo Radio are in tearing down the Christmas decor. Remember when I started filling in for Dory last week? I was complimenting how nice all the Christmas decor in here looked. And you guys don't mess around here at Cairo. It was like Christmas is done. Yep. All the uh, garland and tinsel and lights and the cute little uh, deer you yep. guys had in here gone. Done. And it's <laughs> gone from the front desk area. Oh. It's gone from outside. It's I know. See, I like to, I don't know if you guys, if you were listening last week, which I know you guys always listen to Dory Monson show, even on a holiday week, I was talking about how my mother one year kept the Christmas tree, it was a fake tree, up the entire year and redecorated it for like different holidays, like Fourth of July, back to school, Valentine's Day. I think the genius of that was just to do it the one year. Because if you thought every year it would get old and, you know. <laughs> it's a little much. But just the one year to be like, I'm doing it this year. Yeah, well, apparently no no more Christmas joy here. It's all gone. Speaking of no Christmas joy, did you see uh, the story of the migrant busing on Christmas Eve? So, you know, this busing has been happening. Uh, and let me just, I've been clear. I think I've talked about it on Dory's show before. I don't like the migrant busing. I don't like that it's necessary. I don't like human beings used as political pawns. That being said, I don't blame Texas and Arizona and the border states. You have these, and this is what, you know, when these migrants are bused to New York City or bused to Washington, D.C. or Martha's Vineyard, and they complain, oh, we're not ready for them. Do you really think the tiny border towns of population 1,000 are ready for them? Do you think they're ready for tens of thousands of people who pour across the border every week? Of course not. And so... I understand what they're trying to do with the busing and trying to bring that issue front and center in sanctuary jurisdictions, literally dropping migrants off at the door of the president or the vice president. I get it. I just don't like it. That doesn't mean I have to like it. So anyway, on Christmas Eve, um, Texas Governor Greg Abbott sends to the observatory, which is the home of the vice president in Washington, D.C., a bus is full of migrants. And it um, really ticked off CNN and the like because and the White House had this blistering statement calling it cruel because one, it was Christmas Eve and two, it was like 15 degrees out. It was one of the coldest uh, Christmas Eves they've had on record in Washington, D.C. Again, I get that. That being said, I mean, these migrants were clearly making the journey around Christmas time. So if you're going to, if you feel bad for them that they're being bossed on Christmas Eve, I mean, they're the ones who made that journey leading up to the holidays in the middle of the winter. And by the way, you know, I've spent some time on the border briefly, and I promise you, at night, the Rio Grande is also very cold. And so for these migrants who are literally wading across the Rio Grande, I don't care if it's the dead of sun- summer, 
in the middle of the night. It's also very cold. So if you think that this last leg of their journey being bussed in front of the home of the vice president was the worst part of their journey, I can promise you that it probably was not. So if you're going to be someone who's outraged over this busing on Christmas Eve, I hope you are just as outraged at the treacherous, often deadly journey that these migrants are taking because they know that when they get to the border, they're going to be allowed in. So let's have, you know, let's do away with the selective outrage. If you care about the migrants, then you shouldn't want them taking that journey in the first place. But here's sort of where I'm at with this whole crisis and this whole issue. It's the fault of the two-party system. I mean, I've been very vocal that I'm not a big fan of Democrats or Republicans. And you look at what's happening at the border, and it's a perfect example. You have these two parties. They either only look at it as a humanitarian issue or they only look at it as a national security issue, when very clearly for those of us with common sense, it is both, and it needs to be addressed as both. I mean, part of the beauty of this country is that we have laws that allow people to seek asylum here if they are fleeing from some unbelievable situation in their home country. And, and we should celebrate that. We should want people to come in and to seek asylum if they, if they qualify and if it's necessary. But at the same time, you cannot ignore the national security element of this. And I feel like Democrats do, by and large, and then Republicans on the flip side, they're like, oh, security crisis, security crisis. And then they kind of ignore the true humanitarian crisis. And I just think as long as the two-party system is in play, all they care about is scoring political points. And if they can't win a political point, then they're sure as heck not going to help these migrants. They're sure as heck not going to stop the border security crisis. And they're not going to do anything because all they care about is winning elections. If they cared about anything else, the border crisis would be a heck of a lot better than it is right now. And it's really just sad to me that we've gotten to the point where, you know, I was watching CNN and they're like, oh, look at this cruel act of busing migrants on Christmas Eve. And they totally ignore um, the the root cause of the problem. And they refuse to hold Democrats accountable for not making significant progress on this issue and for actually making it a lot worse on the southern border. So the two party system is just is so selfish in the way that they operate that I don't trust them to deal with any problem at all. And yes, I do blame both sides. I know I know that's both sidesism, but and I want to talk about later on in the show, Nicole, if we can fit it in. There was this massive drug bust in King County where they seized and they say it is cartel. Half a million fentanyl pills, each and every one of them with the capability of killing a Washingtonian. Yet, do you hear Governor Jay Inslee speaking out about the border crisis, saying we need to secure the border, we need to stop these cartels from coming in? No. He cares about kids in cages or whatever it is. Meanwhile, these pills and drugs coming up from Mexico are literally killing people in his state. We'll talk about that and much more ahead. uh, Fastest 15 coming up on The Dory Monson Show. Brandy Cruz filling in.